when I was looking around, I was getting angry because it was it was their dad and their uncle and their grandfather, you know, but it but it wasn't mine. Hello, you are listening to NPE Stories. This is a podcast where NPEs can share their story. I am your host, Lily, and I found out I was an NPE through an ancestry DNA test that changed my life forever. NPE is a term that stands for not parent expected or non paternal event. This means that one or more of our parents are not who we believe them to be. NPE Stories is a podcast where NPEs can share their story of what their original family was like, how they found out they were an NPE, and what their journey has been like since the day they found out. And welcome to episode 26, where today I am talking to Maggie. Hi, Maggie. Hi, Lily. How are you today? I'm doing pretty well today. Thanks for asking. I feel very grateful to be on here with you today. That's so nice. And how is it speaking again? You were just, were you not on a week-long silent retreat? (laughs) I I sure was. Uh, I was on a a seven-day silent retreat, which um, is a very amazing experience. It's it's not my first one. and I and I highly recommend them. It is a a week of um, mindfulness um, and a lot of introspection, and it's a lot easier to not talk than you might think it is. Uh, it's really um, a pretty neat thing, uh, and uh, it was a very it was a strange time to actually be doing it with this information uh, that I have now, but. Um, I'm really glad that I went and it was, it was quite fulfilling. I I highly recommend them. (laughs) Thank you for sharing that. I am, that is something I one day hope, hope to try and just kind of be with my thoughts because I have a lot of them. So. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what you find. That's, that's just, that's the, exactly the experience you might hope for is you, you sit quietly with your thoughts. (laughs) Wow. Okay. So. Let's get to know your story today. So why don't you go ahead and start from the beginning and let me know what your original family was like and a little bit about your childhood and take it from there. Sure, sure. Well, um, I, I grew up in a, a small New England mill town and um, I grew up uh, Irish Catholic and I was the last child of five kids and uh, I was kind of born into a, a pretty full house. There were uh, two parents, a uh, grandmother, uh, two boys, two girls. And uh, my, my oldest sister was actually a junior in high school when I was born. And um, my next oldest brother was about seven when I was born. So um, I remember, uh, you know, at some point asking my mom when I was younger, mom, you know, was I what they call an unplanned pleasure? And uh, and she said, well, what she said, we were Irish. She said, we're Catholic. What makes you think any of you were planned? <laughs> uh, which was, yeah, which was, I thought, pretty cheeky and pretty, pretty true for the time. Um, so um, I, I really only remember... Um, 
being feeling very loved. Um, I was a very lucky little girl. Uh, and I think a large part of that was, um, you know, I was around a lot of adults and, and it was, you know, again, I felt very, uh, very cared for, very loved. Um, and for whatever reason, and I know this sounds strange to say, but I, I always felt very special. I felt that um, good things and kind of honors happened to me um, almost everywhere I went. And I never really understood it. Um, and, it, you know, silly things like like there was never a mascot for the cheerleaders, um, you know, in grammar school. But one year they picked me to be a mascot for the cheerleaders. And like other girls would go and like, you know, I went to Irish Catholic, not Irish, excuse me, Catholic schools. And, um, you know, there would be the crowning of Mary every year. And for whatever reason, I did it like three different times and all of these strange little honors as a kid. And, um, you know, I used to just wonder um, why these things were happening and I still don't know, but I was still pretty humble um, and kind as a child, despite the fact that I feel like I was, I was sort of spoiled a little bit. Um, so um, I, my brothers and sisters were all married when I was still pretty young and I had a few nieces and nephews when I was just 10 years old. So it was, it was different than a lot of my friends. As I said, I went to Catholic grammar in high schools. Actually, they were all girls uh, schools. Um, I never really felt comfortable um, there, uh, but I went through all of the, the grades and the, the motions and the sacraments and the, the milestones and everything. And um, so my um, my dad's mom was my gram, uh, my my dad that I was raised with. Mom lived with us. And uh, she, we were all together until she was, until I was about 13 when she passed away. Um, she was a very kind of large contributing figure in my life because my mom um, had gone back to work uh, what, or was out, had gone to work full time after I was born. When she passed away, we moved from our uh, home that I grew up in into this um, predominantly Jewish community. Um, and it was very beautiful and it, it felt like a, a special place to be. Um, and it was good. Um, you know, I always had more, I always had more than enough of everything. And I genuinely felt that and noticed how easy things seemed to be for me. And I was always really grateful about it. Um, my parents were super hardworking people, often, you know, two jobs at a time, and they were um, significant participators in the church, uh, the community, they both volunteered, they had they pretty, seemed to be a pretty normal uh, family situation. They had some humble vacations and outings, and they each had their individual interests, and they went out with friends and things like that. So everything seemed to be in place. Um, the one odd thing that I uh, was kind of, a uh, through my childhood and I, I later learned was also through several of my, my siblings childhood is that my, my mom, um, 
my mom always slept on the couch, um, which is, it just sounds like a funny thing. And I always chalked it up to the fact that my dad snored. Um, but it was just, it was a, it was a consistent thing, um, in our life. And it seemed inconsistent with the rest of the stuff. And my mom was, was kind of a, she was a very outgoing, um, and very full of positive positivity. Um, I'll call it sunshine. She was a very outgoing person. And, and I say like, not seemingly so though, you know, she was very realistic and positive and, um, but I also knew, um, even as a small child that she was very sad inside. Um, but she, she did her best to kind of shelter us from that. Um, and so, uh, we were up in this, uh, kind of predominantly Jewish community. And after my mother finally, uh, retired, she ended up helping the elderly in that community. So there was a lot of um, a lot of elders in my life. Um, supposedly, this was a business she had, but I don't I don't think much money was exchanged. And um, you know, when I look back, there must have been something really quite soothing for her um, in all of this. So um, anyway, my 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 parents, uh, you know, they put us all through college. It was a it was a good life and. Um, when my parents died, I was uh, 39 with my mom and 41 with my dad. And um, at the time, it seemed like a huge ripoff. I felt like I was surely just much too young to lose my parents. Um, and that's the nature of um, being the last one and being, uh, you know, having been born when your parents were close to, you know, 40 and 43, I guess my parents were when they had me. Thank you for sharing that about your family. And so you definitely are the baby. I am the baby. And I was, uh, I was spoiled, but not rotten. (laughs) That's a good way to put it. (laughs) So now, how did you find out you were an NPE. Mm, well, um, my adult children, uh, who are 20, 25 and 20, almost 28, uh, for, and who are uh, half Jewish, at least culturally, um, their dad is 100% uh, Ashkenazi Jewish. Um, they gave me uh, ancestry DNA kit for Mother's Day last year, and um, I actually—it's kind of funny—that the box sat around for close to a month before I actually took the test, which is unusual for me. Um, kind of funny, but it, it just was the way it was, um, and I took it really quite innocently and without any expectations and pretty much put it out of my mind because, you know, it was just for entertainment, really. Um, (laughs) And so then it was actually July 12th of last year. And I was sitting in one of our favorite restaurants waiting for my husband. It was a Friday, probably around six o'clock. And I received a text 
saying that my DNA results were in from Ancestry. And what was really interesting was um, I really wasn't nervous in any way. And I, I didn't have a moment's anxiety about it. And yet I before I clicked in, I stopped and did um, a grounding meditation. So I don't know if you've ever heard of, you know, um, think of five things or notice five things that you see. Notice four things that you feel. Notice three things that you hear. Two things that you can smell. And then one thing that you can taste. And I did this before I clicked in. So with my uh, <laughs> with my sip of my, my Captain Morgan and Ginger, I clicked in and I opened up and found that my uh, what I thought to be my 90 about 90 percent Irish self was 50 percent European Jewish um, and 27 percent English and 23 percent Irish. So it was a big surprise, but it it really didn't click in at that point. I was actually kind of amused um, because I just assumed it was wrong. Um, and I, yeah, I just try. I wonder if other people do as well. But <laughs> um, I kind of I became like clamoring for you know different theories. I had all these different ideas in my mind of what could possibly have happened and. Um, and then I started getting a little nervous. So I ran into the bathroom and I called ancestry.com uh, and, um, asked them about the validity of the test, um, and validity of results was, you know, was it, what were the chances that what I had wasn't true? And I learned pretty quickly, um, that it was true. And at that moment I was coming pretty close to some to a panic a panic attack and uh so I was just doing some breathing and sitting in the bathroom for a few minutes I came out and my husband was there um and it's kind of funny it wasn't until I saw him um that it that I really felt it and and by it I mean the the it that can continue to come into my life uh, almost any time. Um, it's like a big um, punch in the gut um, that happens that um, shocked me then and, and no longer shocks me now. But, um, you know, I came to know it as the feeling um, that would come from this whenever whenever it darn well wanted to. Um, so we just sat down and we started looking at everything and um, noticed pretty quickly that there were some matches available. And we clicked in and I saw my aunt and my uncle, who are my mother's brothers and sisters. I saw my first cousin, also my mother's on my, my mother's side. And then there was a completely unfamiliar name. Um that was in the category of close family uh, with 100 centimorgans in common. And I was so confused. Um, 
So we just, uh, we kind of finished up dinner and uh, I couldn't wait to get home because I just wanted to start investigating. Um, and I was up all night that night and probably wasn't the last night I was up all night mm-hmm. with uh, curiosity. And um, I just began, you know, Googling and speculating um, based on the information that I had, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll call the person Daniel, which is not his real name, but, um, you know, I hear this person had, had more in common with me or as much in common with me as, as my aunt. And, um, so I, I spent quite a bit of time over the next few days kind of conjuring up stories that, you know, within a week I would find out were just that they were just stories. They, they weren't at all accurate. Um, but the, the day after, um, that I received the information, um, was my goddaughter's, uh, fourth birthday party. And I attended and it was a big party and all of my family was there. So all a whole bunch of generations and, um, it, my entire family was there and as I walked in, the it, it felt, the air felt so thick. Um, it was outside, but it was so frightening to me because I knew something that nobody knew, and it, it was really terrifying. It it felt like I was detached from myself and kind of watching the party as if I wasn't really there. You know, words that I've found for for this since then are uh, untethered, ungrounded. Um, I'd feel this feeling over and over again uh, for many months. Uh, But at that time, I had no idea what to do with it. And I had a real need to just bolt. I just wanted to just leave. And yet, you know, there was 70 people who were you know, my family and, and close friends. So I didn't, I stayed. Um, but the longer that I sat there with that information and not talking to other people about it, the more that like I would get upset. So I, I kind of went home a little bit early and um, it just felt, it felt like without releasing it, that I was just stuck with this pain of the reality of, you know, the man who raised me with, with such care and such love. And he did, um, you know, was not my biological father. And that's, that's all I knew. Um, I just, that's all I knew at that time. Um, and when I was looking around, I was getting angry because it was, it was their dad and their uncle and their grandfather, you know, but it, but it wasn't mine. Um, so I needed to come up with a plan and, and I did. So my first bold move was to contact my new close family member. Um, I, I contacted him via ancestry messaging and just kind of politely asked um, if he knew who I was uh, since I didn't know who he was and if he would like to connect. And he responded very quickly, which was delightful. Uh, I know people can wait an awful long time for those responses. 
Um, and we made a, a, a date and a time that we were going to talk, um, which was just a couple of days from then. So that was good. Uh, so as soon as uh, he said he was going to call at eight, he called right at eight. Uh, I was very impressed. And uh, the first thing he said to me is, that I have to tell you that, you know, I am not, my name is not Daniel. I am not Daniel. Um, so I was like, okay. Uh, I said, is this your DNA? And he said, yes, it is. So he said that it was that he was, and again, this is, this is not his real name, but we'll call him Adam, and that he was Daniel's son. And that his dad had registered the kit and then gave it to him, as well as uh, they did this, I guess, with all of their cousins. And um, so that explained that, which was good. Uh, and I asked him if he had any clues as to how, um, you know, what this might be about or, you know, how, how we possibly could be related. Um, and he said, well, I know you're not related to my father because all of his cousins did this, uh, his, you know, one generation or the other had all done the DNA testing and he was able to compare or try to compare my DNA with all of theirs, and he came up empty. So there was that. And he said, and then he said, and the second thing is, he said, um, you know, you. I at some point, I think in an email, I might have mentioned the town I was from. And so he said back to me, oh, well, another clue is that, oh, my, his mom and all of her siblings and his parents were all from the town that I was born and grew up in. And I, as he, yeah, as he was saying it, it, um, it all kind of came true for me. I, I understood like right at that moment, uh, exactly who his mother was. <clears throat> and, um, you know, it was a very defining moment. It was, um, I actually like not to be gross, but I like I actually like almost threw up. I like retched a few times. It was like it was it was the same feeling that I had when I had learned like so many years ago that my mom had had stage four cancer. It was like that feeling of, wow, does this really suck? And there's nothing I can do about it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just nowhere to go, nowhere to hide. So we figured out um, just who we were to each other. He's my nephew um, and his, um, you know, his, his mom is my half sister. Uh, there are four more siblings there. Um, and his grandfather, is, you know, I'm his grandfather's biological daughter. Um, so he's he was a man, um, yeah, that I knew very well. Um, he was a really important and uh, and generous family friend of ours. Um, he was the brother of my mom's one of my mom's best friends. Um, he was also my mom's boss. Um, and he was the owner of the store that she worked at for 31 years. Oh, wow. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I knew him very well. He was a lovely man. Uh, he was a kind and very generous and, you know, very, um, I'm going to say socially generous people, people knew he was a good man. He was, um, he was well known, um, in our town as being a very good person. Um, I have lots of memories of him. He was, he was a very tall and large statured man. And I, I remember just as a little girl, like my family wasn't particularly touchy feely or huggy or anything, but he always would reach over and give me a big, you know, a big hug and a, and, um, you know, very, very comforting. Um, you know, I was at his store, uh, for regular visits all the time. Um, and after school, certainly, uh, when I was younger, cause my mom was working. Um, he and his wife were friends with my parents. They all went to dinner. Um, his children attended my birthday parties as a small child. Uh, I saw pictures, uh, of us as, as little kids all at the birthday table and, um, I attended one of his girls' bar mitzvah, bar mitzvahs, and oh wow, yeah, yeah, and and every Christmas we got a big, huge fruit basket from them, <laughs> and after every every year, my mother always received a watch from from her boss. Like these are just random memories, you know. It's it's just kind of funny, um, and and actually, I remember um, that he was thought of as um, having asked a lot from my mom as an employee. Um, so, you know, but as a matter of fact, um, it was said that he brought the accounting books to the hospital for my mother to balance the books while she was uh, in the hospital having me. Oh, um, really? Right. So there's the story. Um you know, and it, yeah, it's kind of funny uh, because it was told in the manner of, you know, that's a tough boss, you know, um, but it, it all seems to, to make a little bit more sense now. But even as a child, it just seemed to fit because both of my parents had super strong work ethics. So it just made sense, you know. In the next few weeks, I, I started telling my siblings and each of them would have their own reaction. And some of them, you know, were able to feel the whole thing very deeply and, um, and others just couldn't go there. Uh, it's too much for them. And um, each one of them, you know, kind of had stories of what this meant to them and offered me small pieces, uh, you know, of, of the puzzle back. And my oldest sister uh, had what she calls a knowing. So she doesn't, she can't specifically come up with words or, uh, anything very specific, but she had some type of inexplicable memory that she, she really can't, can't get clear about, but she felt like she was a witness to an argument that was had right before I was born or maybe right when I was born. And in our house, that would be noteworthy because people didn't like yell and argue. Um, it, by the way, it doesn't mean they weren't angry. 
Uh, it just means that they did, they, they either stuffed it, they stewed over it, or maybe they drank it, you know. Um, but um, in her heart, she, she truly believes that they had some kind of a pact that, you know, maybe that they, they knew what happened um, in that they were both going to honor it forever. And that's what my sister kind of believes. Um, and if, and if, if, if that were true, um, then they definitely pulled it off. They definitely mm-hmm. pulled it off. Cause I would have based on how they treated me, I would never have known. You did not sense, you said he was an affectionate, you know, he was a kind man, but you didn't sense that he, he was certainly wasn't treating you as, as his daughter. You tell me. Well, my, my dad, um, my dad was, he was a very funny, um, and he was a fun dad. He was, he was a fun person to be around. I don't think he was a great husband in the way that I know my mom had a lot of sensitivities that, um, he, he couldn't seem to honor, uh, he, he, let's see, how do I back up over this? Um, I'd like to say that my dad was a bit egocentric. So, um, he often would take things from his own perspective and had a, had a, he was an only child. Um, and his dad was gone when he was three months old. So he grew up, talk about spoiled. Um, and he had a hard time taking other people's perspective on things. So I would say if my dad knew, he would have had a really, really, really hard time loving me up the way he did. Okay. He, I was very special to him and to, you know, as well as all the other kids were as well. I don't think I was any more special, but um, in my heart, I don't feel that he could have known, mm-hmm. um, but I'll never know. He, he, yeah, he really would have pulled off something um, if he did. That's for sure. But it sounds like you think maybe your mother knew. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't, I really don't know. And it's, it's, I think having, I, I feel I've, I've had, I've had children myself and I don't know. I don't know. if It's hard to say. It's really hard to say. I, I know that. Um, I just don't know, Lily. Yep. I really don't know. And, and, and then there's the question is, did, did, you know, my biological father know? Not likely, not likely. The, all of the, the dinners and the, all of the occasions happened after I was born. If people knew, could they have all continued to be close like that together? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, it would it would surprise me. Well, you yes, you have connected with your 
biological paternal family because that's how you you started messaging with them on ancestry how is that how is that communication going with the new biological family well um i the my niece and my nephew um or half niece and half nephew are amazing and they're very kind um and um loving and I, I continue, I continue to speak with them, um, maybe every, every couple of weeks now. Um, and I was hoping that I could learn a little bit more from, from them. It was, that was an easy, uh, entry, if you will, having to reach out to what would be, um, the children of my, my biological dad, you know, who knew me, by the way, I mean, of course they knew me, they, you know, uh, and, and had that conversation uh, was going to be a little bit harder. So I really hoped that perhaps I could get a bunch from uh, my niece and nephew, but they, um, you know, they're much younger. Um, and sadly, uh, they've been estranged, I guess, from that family for about 10 years or since my biological father um, had passed away. And so they continue to show me kindness and, and understanding on, on a regular basis. But um, I began pretty quickly to prepare to um, reach out to my, my half siblings. Um, and I wasn't, um, I, I was able to find quite a bit of information on them and I had email addresses and I had um, phone numbers and, and I had, uh, you know, snail mail addresses. So I started with some phone calls and um, I made four phone calls and I got back two, um, two different uh, return calls and they were really friendly and uh, and very kind. They were like, "Oh my goodness, it's you know, it's been a lot of years. What, where have you, how have you been? Tell me about your family. You know, we have such nice memories." And then, um, you know, I was able to, um, you know, talk about some all of that, all the all the all the light stuff. And then I was told my story and presented information to them. Um, one. Um, was pretty generous uh, about the possibility. They were like, okay, maybe, you know, and then the other um, really um, eventually got pretty upset in the conversation. And, and um, you know, I could tell it, you know, she didn't want to talk about it anymore. Um, my, my real need um, to, to speak with them and to talk with them, number one, was about my medical, medical history. Um, I was, you know, I was super concerned um, at when I started looking at things. Well, my my mom was very dear friends with my biological father's sister, and I remember being nineteen when she passed away and thinking how young she was. Um, and so I started looking uh, things up, and I eventually went up to. Uh, vital statistics um the you know and, and started looking up like death certificates and things because I, I really wasn't getting any information and 
I learned that um, my one of his, he had four sisters, and I learned that one of his sisters passed away when she was 47. And another, the one I remembered um, when she was 65, um, and it was of uh, metastatic breast cancer. So I started getting a little nervous uh, about the information. And um, I, you know, reading about my new heritage, I I learned that uh, Ashkenazi, people of Ashkenazi Jewish descent are at least like 10 times higher uh, frequency of, of gene mutation for the BRCA gene. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, it was a surprise to me. Uh, there's a few other things as well. But I uh, I got pretty nervous about it and started, you know, wondering, gee, was, is this perhaps why this information has come to me at this time, you know, from the universe. And I started doing some research and found this um, this study called the BEFORE, B-F-O-R, and it stands for um, the BRCA Founder Outreach Study. And so the, the woman who um, kind of identified the, the gene, the gene mutation. Um, this is a, a pilot study that's been going on for about three years now, and it's in New York, Boston, Philly, and LA. And it's free testing for anyone 25 years or older of Ashkenazi Jewish descent to, to you know, raise awareness and provide information for people um, about BRCA gene mutations. Uh, so that's a really good thing for people to know about. Uh, and yeah, I was, I'm really grateful uh, to say that um, my, I did not come back with any apparent mutations of that gene. So I'm a, I'm a lucky girl. Thank goodness. Yes. Thank goodness. One, one really nice thing um, that happened, if I could share, um, was, you know, even when I was telling my brothers and sisters about everything, everyone had kind of, like I said, their own story. But one day I came home, um, it was like a Monday, I'd say three o'clock and in, in my backyard, sitting on our little veranda were all my brothers and sisters and my husband. And that was a very unusual thing to happen on a Monday at three o'clock in the afternoon. And uh, I was so sure that like there was something, you know, else that they had to say. I was so nervous. Um, but I sat down and they said to me that, um, that when I told each of them that they all had like their own feelings and their own stories, their own, their own thoughts about it. But that that occasion that night was, was just for me. Um, and they were, they were all there um, without any reactions, without any stories to tell. And they were there simply what, I, to what, what I've learned is now is it was to hold space for me. And it was the most beautiful thing anyone could have could have ever done. Um, and I've heard the word hold space before, but it's so beautiful. I, I wanted to I looked up 
um, kind of a definition that I just want to share. And it came from a palliative care site. Um, but they, they call it, a, they say that holding space is a willingness to walk alongside of a person in whatever journey they are on without judging them, making them feel inadequate, trying to fix or sunny side the situation, or trying to impact the outcome at all. Like, isn't that so beautiful? Maggie, I love that. And I love your family. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> you bet. You bet. I love my family too. I'm so lucky. <laughs> I I want a space like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to hold some for you. <laughs> oh, that's something. That's something I hope I can do for somebody someday. That's sweet. I'm glad you shared that. Thank you. Thank you. Well, my my discovery's given me some some pretty rich gifts. Um, it's it's taken a bunch from me, but it's given given me a lot of things, and um, it's given me like this whole new relationship with myself. And it's given me a deeper relationship with my family. Um, I have this this great, you know, budding relationship with this with my niece and nephew. Um, I have deeper compassion, empathy, and love for anybody, for any member of this journey, even even the ones who who made it happen or for who were, who were maybe in pain that, that, that caused some of it to happen or, or, you know, some of the difficult people. And because it it just, it tells you that all humans suffer and, you know, we all suffer. Um, And one of the nicest things is I'm, I'm getting more and more trusting of myself and my own feelings every day. Um, I'm getting better at kind of creating limits for myself and holding to them. And every day is an opportunity to be like super present and not to cling. And this event in my life, it's like, you know, your puzzle, puzzle in my life might've been, I don't know, six tenths done, if you will. I'm 56. Um, and, you know, it felt like someone came, came around and just flipped the card table over with, with the puzzle, all the puzzle pieces that I knew so far, you know, over. And they were just, they're just kind of all on the floor. And so if I, if I, if I was still clinging to each one of those pieces, I'd be in pain every day. And so instead, I've learned how to live with more flexibility and knowing that, that things in life are always ever changing. And it, it lets me kind of surf, surf the waves, you know, of life every day, even, even when they come fast and furious, like they can being an NPE and I've, um, I've, I've created a social media profile, um, called the mindful NPE. 
And I'm hoping um, to create and hold space for people like us, Lily. <laughs> um, and, you know, right. yeah. Tell people, so tell, now say again where if people want to hear more about you, they can find you at, say, you, you say the details again. Oh, sure. Um, there's a, a secret Facebook group called The Mindful NPE. And you can, I'm also on Instagram and Twitter, also the mindful NPE. And oh. I've just begun, so. <laughs> so have I. So. <laughs> All right. I will be looking for you on those sites, the mindful NPE. Thank you for sharing that. You bet. You bet. There's a super nice quote that was offered to me uh, when I was on retreat um, that was just fabulous um, that I might like to share. I would love to hear it. Um, so I was, I was, I felt a bit like a, an imposter. I was having some identity issues and I explained where it came from. And this, this amazing uh, leader said, um, that this was a, this was a quote from, uh, a Greek philosopher and it's that you can't step into the same river twice. He went on to explain because it's not the same river and you're not the same person. And from this, some reason I, I get huge comfort, huge comfort. Thanks again to Maggie for sharing today. These stories are here for us to identify with. If you are an NPE that would like to share your story, email npestories at gmail.com. You do not have to give any identifying information. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, I'd like to hear from you. Subscribe to this podcast to hear more. Come heal with us.